Welcome back to Love and Lead. This is Becky Wagaman with my co-host, Jean Street. Hey, so last week we talked about anxiety in ourselves and um, felt like that was the best starting place in noticing it, navigating it, so that in turn we could turn our attention to our parenting and how would we love and lead our kids through anxiety. So Jean, even as we start today, let's talk a little bit about what does anxiety look like for our kids in today's world? Oh, that's a huge question. It looks like it really is almost an epidemic if you look at the numbers of kids experiencing any kind of um, anxiety or pressure or stress, even very young children, those of you who are parents of um, tiny little ones, toddlers are recognizing that there are just some things going on with your kids that maybe is different than um, your parents have told you that you were, or maybe your younger children are experiencing life differently than your older children are. One of the most important things uh, we talked about last week is recognizing anxiety in ourselves. I would imagine that one of the things that causes us as parents to feel anxiety is watching our kids' behavior and actions and attitudes and not recognizing it as anxiety yeah. in them. Yeah. We're yeah. misinterpreting some of their behavior, uh, maybe as being defiant or naughty or compliant or whatever word you're using to describe their behavior that you aren't necessarily enjoying really could be based in their own anxiety. Very interesting, Jean. And, and I can say I certainly did not do great always with that as a parent. Oh, I didn't either. Uh, so how, how do we even identify then what is anxiety based behavior? Like whatever our clues then as a parent, what do we look for? That is going to be an individual thing for your family and your situation. But I would say one of the best ways to maybe recognize that your child is feeling some anxiety is notice how they're behaving, how they're reacting, how they're feeling in a no stress situation during summer vacation or during um, a Saturday afternoon after they've gotten to sleep in and they don't have any other things coming up on their schedule, you know, a time when things are peaceful, maybe it's over a meal time or going out for ice cream. Notice how your child is in that situation. Make note of it, notice it just like we yeah. do in ourselves. And then when these other kinds of behaviors come up, you might be able to identify, I wonder if they're feeling anxious. Mm -hmm. For instance, you've probably all experienced um, a toddler, an infant or a toddler, preschool age, going through times of um, just petrified to leave your side as a parent. Mm -hmm. They just mm -hmm. cannot do that. I think it would be wise to wonder, I wonder if they're feeling anxiety in this situation more than they're just kind of being um, controlling. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they have the ability to be controlling at that age. And so if your child is having separation anxiety, um, you might want to think about, I wonder what's causing this. And there are certain things that you can do to help your child through those times. 
you can't, excuse me, alleviate it for them because all of life is going to be separations of some kind or another, but to help them through that. I think it's very good if you could um, prepare kids ahead of time to Mm. know what's going to happen. We we always called this rehearsing. We would always have to Mm -hmm. rehearse with our kids Mm -hmm. what was going to happen when we Mm -hmm. identified um, a stressor Mm -hmm. in their lives. Mm -hmm. We had um, uh, actually had a foster child living with us for a little while. And his anxiety would show up by he would chew the front of his T-shirts. Mm. All of his T-shirts had little holes, little <laughs> teeth marks there, because and they would be wet. And um, at first, it just annoyed me. Of course, just bought him that shirt. Now it has holes in it. You know, <laughs> I put that on him to go someplace, mm. and it's all wet and gross. Mm-hmm. But then I realized he probably just does that when he's feeling anxious. And those of you who are listening probably think, how did I not know that ahead of time? Well, when you know how families are. Mm-hmm. When life is going on, you don't take the time to stop. So I guess I'm encouraging you as parents of young children to stop. Think to yourself, what is going on? What might my child be experiencing? What might they be anticipating? If they're thinking that you're going to leave them, it's very important for them to know that you're also going to come back. So you can rehearse that mm-hmm. with them when they're little. You can say, uh, mommy's going to leave the room right now. We're going to say bye, but I'm going to come back. You just watch me come back. And practice that during non-stress times, during kind of fun play times, so that when it becomes time to actually leave your child at daycare or with a babysitter, you could say, remember when we played this? And I always came back. That's great. And I love the idea of rehearsing and small, like you said, non-anxious environments. That's easy to rehearse, particularly with our youngest children. And, you know, having even the same verbal cues mm-hmm. can be helpful and reassurances. I know, um, just from the environment of like a church nursery, we have the environment where kids are dropped off, but it's not like every day, maybe like a daycare that becomes very um, regular and normal for the child, but maybe less consistent. So that can be an area we see children not sure about separating and different teachers because we rotate nursery volunteers. So one of the things I can even see that rehearsing and the cues, like we're not trying to um, totally avoid that it's happening, you know, with the kids, but we want to help them navigate through it. And it's interesting. Um, I was, I've always been a proponent of, you know, and there are times you might want to sneak out, but for the most part, you want them to know I'm leaving and I'm coming back, depending on their age and, and dynamics. We'll even have kids look out the window. See, mommy and daddy are there. They're going to come back. We have our own cues we do with the young children and they begin to identify they by our lack of anxiety that they are okay, which I think one of our cues our kids are in anxiety is if we feel our own anxiety Mm -hmm. because it's contagious. Oh my. So as soon as a parent, as you feel anxious, that's probably a cue your kids either have are feeling it or they're going to get it from you. Like it's a contagious experience. 
I was way worse at my children going to school than they were. Yeah. It was harder for me <laughs> to mm -hmm. let them go. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say, uh, I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox right now. One of the things um, you mentioned, the church nursery, one of the things about a children's ministry that I got to do for over 20 years that was very frustrating to me is when parents would bring their children back and if the child didn't want to stay, the child got to be in charge and make that decision. And parents would take their child back with them to big church. And I'm thinking, that's not a good precedent that you want to set for the child to get to make that decision. And then the child to have to sit through big church and cause some trouble. A better choice, in my opinion, would have been for the parent to stay back in the in the children's class mm, with, with their them. child yeah. so they can um, learn that it isn't a scary thing, that it it is something that their parent is okay with mm -hmm. for them to stay there. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like parents really viewed that as an option. It was either the kids didn't want to stay, the kids are the boss, and so they go sit in a place where they're going to think church is boring. Instead, being a little bit more child-centered, not child in charge, but the parents staying with the child to help them yep. acclimate. Well, that's actually a big clue into how anxiety works. I'm going to jump to a different generation right now at a youth camp. Mm -hmm. Okay. Teenagers. We had a student that was experiencing anxiety. They were supposed to serve in a role as a small group leader at this camp and really just overtaken by anxiety. And it could have been the whole camp experience. You know, what happened though, anxiety can paralyze you. Mm -hmm. And it was paralyzing her. So as leaders, we were coming alongside compassionately and talking with her. At the end of the day, the most loving thing uh, the leader could do in that situation was he took the decision away from her. At the time, I thought, ooh, that was a little harsh. <laughs> yes, it, I, I felt it. I'm a little bit more emotionally connected maybe in the whole thing. However, when you look at anxiety, often the most loving thing we can do is lead. Mm -hmm. Because when you are paralyzed in the anxiety, it's not going to go away. It's the taking action and taking steps and making decisions that actually helps. And that young person was able to flourish that weekend oh, camp. Wonderful. Even though that role, and we were compassionate, but it was taken away. She couldn't handle it. It was paralyzing her. She then, it gave her the freedom to be a participant in the camp that week, which was what she needed to navigate through that anxiety. So sometimes to your point, the most loving action is is to lead mm -hmm. and make a decision for a, a student or your child. That is so true. Mm -hmm. They are, by definition, not adults. Yeah. So decisions are difficult for them to make. Mm -hmm. And I think we as parents, and especially us as grandparents, do a disservice to the children in our lives by um, making them have to make adult decisions. Mm -hmm. That's just not mm -hmm. right and it's not mm -hmm. fair. I mean, to go on to, to elementary age kids and their anxiety, I think that they're still at an age where rehearsing things would be valuable mm -hmm. for them. The most important thing to remember, again, I'm going to say it with every stage of child we talk about, 
just as for ourselves, it's recognizing anxiety, being aware of what's going on. That really should be one of our first questions we ask ourselves in our minds. What's going on with my child? Not to make an excuse for their behavior, right. but to help them through it. Sure. So elementary age kids, they just, all kids, but especially this age, they have to know that they are safe, that you are there to protect them. You love them, but also protect them. There's, you know, it's typical elementary school age kids who are my dad can beat up your dad, or my mom is prettier than your mom, or it's all about comparison, comparing their parent to another parent. Um, they have a very uh, strong association with their parent. And so for you to make sure that they know that they're safe. Mm -hmm. Talk about their fears mm -hmm. in real terms. There was um, this foster boy who lived with us. I didn't catch this right away. And I he would just do these very strange, bizarre behaviors that I would be at a loss to know what to do. When I finally realized, I'm going to ask him, what's going on? What, what are you afraid of? Your behavior makes it seem as if you're very worried about something. What are you worried about? And he, at that point, didn't know. But through our conversation, he did come to know. He was afraid that he was going to be taken away from our home again. He just had moved from home to home to home to home. And that was just a real huge fear for him. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to say, you won't, you won't have to move here until you're ready. Mm -hmm. Well, and... It really is helping them grow in self-awareness, mm -hmm. right? Which is our goal in raising what I love how you say that fully functioning human beings, <laughs> yes. right? That's our role. So our role in raising fully functioning human beings down the road, be, this anxiety, I love that conversation. And that really can start in the elementary years. Oh, needs to. And they begin to notice, oh, that isn't like me. I'm not normally like this. Mm -hmm. Like and that self-awareness piece can be so helpful for them. And I think at that age too, because they don't have a lot of experiences yet, but they're afraid of failure. I mean, they're afraid of being made fun of or looking foolish. And so the, the ability that we have as parents to give them confidence, to tell them they are capable, that they can do this thing that yes. they're worried that they can't is so important yes. and however we don't want to be lying to them if they think Same they point. can yeah. if they can you know pole vault over 12 foot or whatever mm -hmm. and we know they can't mm -hmm. do it mm -hmm. failure is is okay Absolutely. it's not the end of the world it's so important for them to have realistic views um that they know that we think they're capable. If this sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, I am, this is a dance. <laughs> it's so important, all the different parts of it. And we don't yes. have to get all of them right all the time, but we have to get all of them right some of the time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we need to make sure our kids know that we love them, that they're protected and that they're capable and failure isn't the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that we have strengths, we have weaknesses. I love that realistic voice. I think that as well helps them navigate the anxious situations. I mean, let's all, we've all been in the PE line. I don't know if they do that anymore. Probably not. But we've been in that lineup where they have captains um, and you're not being picked. Like, 
it's talk about anxiety and kids there there's environments that they're put in and how do we help them know their strengths know they're not going to be strong at everything and the realistic part of it somehow i feel like if we can speak into that that's got to help them navigate those situations mm -hmm. that are nerve-wracking to have that sense of self that identity yes. that they're not they don't have it's to be not, good at everything exactly. but everyone really is good at something uh again our society just causes anxiety in so many ways that there's sports is held up as the most important thing or celebrity in some mm -hmm. way and that is unrealistic so if you have a child who's not athletic or is mm -hmm. not musical or you know mm -hmm. something that really stands out that people are known for maybe they are kind maybe they're funny maybe they're helpful maybe they're generous there's mm -hmm. so many things that we can pull out yes. of our kids and help them feel proud of that as their identity. Yeah, love that. Gene, I'm going to move us on to teenage years and anxiety. <laughs> Poor things. <laughs> yeah. Poor things. Yeah. I have yet to meet a teenager uh, who doesn't struggle with mm -hmm. um, anxiety in some way. It really is um, almost synonymous mm -hmm. with teenage years. But a couple of the things I think that teenagers crave is that they really are connected there. It's very true that so many teenagers are prickly and there's so many jokes about only seeing your teenager as they go through the kitchen to get some food and you never see them again and you don't hear them talk. And that's very, very common. I want to encourage you parents. If you've got that teenager, you're not alone. That's very common. However, some of that is um, trying to cover that mm. fear that they're not enough, that fear mm. that they don't measure up. They're very aware of their peers and how they're different. They want to stand out, but not very far. Sure. Right. <laughs> Just a little bit. Mm -hmm. So they need to, I think, even though they don't think they want it or they don't think they need it, that sense of identity within the family, mm -hmm. that they're part of a family where they yes. are accepted and loved is more important that they're than they let on. Yeah, I, you know, and my mind goes to physical touch here, Jean, just even as you talk about that, there's distancing that naturally happens and there's such a need for hugs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when our kids and their bodies are changing, their voices are changing. And sometimes the parents don't even know how to give hugs to them anymore. They're not the little squirt that they used to have. And all of a sudden, they're taller different. than you. Yes. Yeah. And like you said, they're going to their bedroom. They don't want, it appears they don't want you. Often the times that that seems, I just think the importance of physical touch. Yeah. Hands on the shoulder, uh, hand on the shoulder, uh, arm around them. Like we need to continue be the loving them mm -hmm. through these years and be connected even when they don't portray they want it. I think that's excellent because those little touches are going to make them realize that they are acceptable. Yeah. They are wanted. Um, yeah. So incredibly important. If possible, the thing I would encourage, and this is going to be before the teen years, but for the teen years, 
is to start having those conversations one-on-one -on -one with your child about um, what they're looking forward to in life. You know, just ask that question. It can be the next day or the next week or the next year, whatever. Just get to get them talking. What are they looking forward to? Um, that's a positive question that can be followed up with. And, you know, you want to support whatever. That sounds great. Or I can see why you're excited about that. But it can be followed up with, is there anything that you maybe aren't looking forward to? You don't have to put it negative, like, is there anything you're worried about? But if you pair it with the first question, it's easier for them to answer the second question. Mm. And I think it's also good to ask kids regularly um, what they're good at. What is something that you were mm. proud of today? Mm -hmm. What is something that made you feel good about yourself today? Mm -hmm. To start trying to help them look for the positive yeah. things. Now, you can't really just start that when your child is um, in the non-communicative <laughs> stage of, of teenage years. Sure. You're going to want to start that earlier right. for the teen years. So you've set a base um, of being able to talk in those ways. Yeah. All right. One more stretch. We're going to go into the young adult years, which are, I mean, you're always a parent. The, you're, there is still some active parenting, though, happening, particularly in the 18 to 22, 24, 25, that still tends to be a little bit more hands-on than maybe beyond. I don't know. I'm still learning genes. I so have mine beyond. And <laughs> okay. So speak into that, a oh, wise one. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> if only I were. <laughs> In retrospect, uh, I can see things I did wrong and I can learn uh -huh. from that and I can share those lessons at the time. I think one of the things about parenting young adults is the, the worry and anxiety comes on us as parents again. You know, you might feel like you have a little bit of a handle on it. You you get in the groove with your school age children and and even to some extent with your with your teens. And all of a sudden they're on their own. You've done all you can do for them besides kind of encourage them and coach them from the side. But you don't get to make their decisions anymore and um, lead them in any direction. You've done what you can. So. You're left with worries because they're not coming home every night. They've probably moved out on their own or they've gone to college or maybe they've gotten married and there's just all these worries. So you need to be aware of that. And I'm speaking to myself. I need to be aware of what worries are mine to take on and turn into prayer and what ones are for me to put on that shelf mm -hmm. again and tell mm -hmm. myself, I don't have to worry about that. Jesus has got that mm -hmm. one. Um, mm -hmm. But I will say one of the most important things I think in parenting young adults with anxiety is letting them know that you are there to listen. And the only way they'll know you're there to listen is if you're not giving unsolicited advice. Yeah. Unless they're asking, what do you think about this? We are not going to have that conversation. Mm. If they think that we're going to still be controlling them mm -hmm. and giving them answers, they're not going to be able to feel like they're capable sure. of being an adult and making sure. those decisions. Sure. And if I hear so many young adults mm -hmm. saying that their parents are still trying to tell them what to do, and that just kind of hurts my heart because it's keeping them from growing 
That's what I was just thinking from them having their own tools of leading their life Mm -hmm. and navigating their own anxiety. So as parents, we can't, uh, I feel this right now. We want, we, in the love for our children, we want to remove anxiety in (laughs) any way we can, which is appropriate in younger years in in particular, like Mm -hmm. you said. These young adult years, that really becomes the part you can't protect them from the anxieties of life. They have to live it to Mm -hmm. learn. Mm -hmm. That being said, if you've gotten the kind of relationship with your young adult children where you can have a conversation, um, my suggestion is a good way to help them when they're feeling anxious is to ask them the kinds of questions that are open-ended like, well, if you decided to go with option A, what what would be the best outcome of that? I always like to start with a positive question if possible, because the follow-up question is, well, what's the worst thing that could happen sure. with that decision? Mm-hmm. Just to be the sounding board for them, ask the questions that they mm-hmm. might not have thought. I mean, that's where your, our experience comes in. We know to ask those questions and they might not know that yet. Not going to give right. any answers, but helping them know what kind of questions to ask. That That's great. one question actually is, as I mm-hmm. think about it, very valuable for every stage of life. My husband even asks me that now. What's the worst thing that could happen mm-hmm. in whatever situation? Mm-hmm. And that's so helpful to look at it reality-wise reality mm-hmm. and to realize mm-hmm. there's not much bad that could happen here. I don't mm-hmm. have to be worried about it. Mm-hmm. So even asking, I'm going to go back to the high school years, your child's trying out for a sport and they're so afraid they're not going to make it, you could say, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm-hmm. And they'll see that it really isn't going to be life altering for them not to make it. Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind as we're talking, Jean, is just the particularly teenage and, and young adult years is just their constant need to be affirmed mm-hmm. and acknowledging it's so easy to pick on the behavior we don't like, <laughs> but how powerful and important it is to highlight what they're doing right, mm-hmm. what they're doing well. Like it's our mindset that will help them begin to have that positive mindset as well. And so they need um, continual, I call it watering uh, of their souls, you know, like, wow, I can really appreciate how you put in the extra hours of study towards that. That shows me like your character. Wow. You know, you should feel really proud of yourself. Like being able to acknowledge, find anything, Mm -hmm. scrap for it. Like, what can you praise? What can you highlight in their character that's positive um it just is so easy to get on a negative track with those years and i think it's just really powerful to be positive i love that yeah i love that well one last thing we're down to our last couple minutes but we're we're talking about the rhythms of life as the context for anxiety So what I'm beginning to think, what are some of the rhythms of our family life that, again, help us to, um, what, prevent anxiety or navigate, you know what I- Manage it. Manage Mm -hmm. it. There you go. Mm -hmm. What are some healthy life rhythms 
that can help alleviate anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say a couple, Jean, I'll invite you. One that I think is so important is the rhythm of sitting around a table at mealtime. Um, it, it's a regular, consistent time of the day. And depending on your life and your kids' ages, hopefully you can find one meal a day for sure. If your kids are around, I would say as many as you can get, mm -hmm. two or three. Um, maybe that's a, a snack at night when your teenager gets off of football practice. Like, But sitting around a table consistently, I believe, will help be a preventative measure for anxiety. And I also think of car rides. That's something we're doing all the time with our kids on different levels. How can we utilize that time in special ways, whether it's music we all like, conversations we have, but it's a place we regularly gather as a family. Those are so good and so important. And I know you listeners, you've got those times that you have not really maybe made the most of. You haven't really thought it through. Maybe it's doing a chore together. Maybe it's a bedtime routine. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, we just want to encourage you to take that time to have those non-stressful conversations yes. to let the, let your kids know that they're cherished, that they're precious, that they're capable, that they are connected, and that they count. Amen. Amen.